Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake podcast. My name is Pete Selby. I am the host of For Fox Sake podcast alongside another host. And that's Mr Rob Hayes. Hello Rob, alright? I'm alright, thank you Pete. How are you? I am cracking. Looking forward to the game this weekend against Man City. It's uh, sure to be a cracker and bring up plenty of points which we're going to discuss over the next what hour or so. But also, there's plenty of points kind of away from the immediate game surrounding Man City and possibly Leicester, but we'll go into them in more detail. We've had a game since we last were on the pod, and it was against Wolves. And we were just talking beforehand about whether it was Willie Bolly who had a goal disallowed in the first game of the season. Because remember, these games... Over the previous weekend or so, or how long ever it's taken, it seems for one game weekend to have taken about a month or so. But it was Willie Bolly who scored the goal that was disallowed for handball at the King Power first day. And in these mirror reversal of games, guess what? It was a mirror image, a nil-nil, and a Willie Bolly uh, disallowed goal, which was you know, which is fairly interesting in some parts. But it meant that Leicester got a point in a game, Rob, where there's... It's not saying there isn't a lot to talk about because there always is, but as I as I said just before we came on air, says if we played well, we could have easily lost that game, but we didn't play very well, and we drew, which is the main thing. The results in that sort of game is the main point because we got the main points. Yeah, we both have said the same thing. You know, if you'd have asked us before the game away at Wolves, a team that are very much doing almost what we expected Leicester to be doing this season in terms of knocking on the door of the top six, top seven. If you'd have said you can go there, you can keep a clean sheet, you can take a point uh, away from Molyneux, you'd have said thank you very much. Obviously, as Leicester fans and optimistic Leicester fans as we have every right to be this season in terms of how well it's going, we would have probably lent towards Leicester winning the game or wanting Leicester to win the game. But if you said before the game, come away clean sheet and a point, you've absolutely taken it. So in the circumstances as well, when you consider that the performance perhaps wasn't quite there and we played uh, a good chunk of it with 10 men, it is it looks like a very, very good result when you take those things into consideration. It is. It's a really good point. I thought the defence was exceptional. Soyuncu, it was his best game for quite a while because I think he just had a little bit of a dip in form over the last, say, four or five games. Uh, Evans was an absolute rock. Schmeichel as well, you could say, is back to his best. And the whole defensive unit were very good at the end, jumping in front of shots. Uh, Morgan came on, I think, spent more time sliding on on his legs and on his backside, really jumping in front of shots than he did standing up because it, it really was kind of hanging on at the end. And, well, the goal itself disallowed again for something that no one would have spotted in real time. But with VAR, there you go. That's what it was. It was handball in the first game of the season. This time it was that uh, that leg, which was interesting because a lot of people who went was watching the game mentioned because the ball was passed backwards. But because the player was in an offside position, it didn't really matter because it's, again, it's, it's where the player was when the ball 
uh, is pa- then passed at the point of impact. So, and again, it was a it was a, a slight thing because it it quite it rarely happens, doesn't it, where a player is given offside even though the ball went backwards? Because in real time, that would be an extremely difficult thing and an awkward thing for a linesman to flag for. But with VAR, that's the way it is. And overall in the game, Chowdhury getting sent off slightly unfortunate, really, because slipping and bringing the guy down and and you could say quite soft but uh, he will now miss the next game which is important because uh, Wilfred indeed is still out and I think a lot of people might have been quite surprised when the, the team was announced and the first team squad didn't include indeed obviously there's been a reaction to him coming back after the injury to his knee previously or the operation he had uh, that really is a, is, is a worrying thing for Leicester because of how much we rely not just on Ndidi but I think any side would do because he's such a good player but how much Leicester have relied on him and his his outstanding performances this year yeah the, the thing is with that as well you've got Mendy out with injury and Chowdhury suspended so even if even if you weren't saying that you were relying on one particular individual in Wilfred Ndidi which which I think we do to a to a large extent anyway but our system relies on a player doing a job in there as many other teams do but but ours really to unlock Tielemans and Madison further forward to allow the the um the fullbacks to advance that defensive midfield position is absolutely crucial and you know Mendy does lots of elements of it well Chowdhury does lots of elements of it well but Wilfred indeed he really is the full package in that position so you know we had two able deputies really, and Mendy and Chowdhury, who you wouldn't mind coming in to fill in for a few games here or there, but, you know, you'd always pick Ndidi over them. But the fact that all three of them are now unavailable is is a bit of a head-scratcher. Obviously, we've got Dennis Pratt, and we've we've spoken before on this podcast about Pratt being what you would consider to be an all-round midfielder. You know, he, he's as good at tackling as he is at passing. But whether he's got the sort of... It, it's almost a natural ability that indeed he has to be in the right place at the right time and win those balls. You know, the, his interception and tackle stats aren't by aren't there by chance. They're there by, by positioning, by timing, by awareness. And it would be a slightly unfamiliar role for somebody like Dennis Pratt to fill, but it, it's got to be him. It can't be anybody else. Um, I was just wanting to watch the... Uh, the highlights back of the of the Wolves game. Just to, I've just watched the Chowdhury tackles again, just to to refresh them in my memory. The first one, you make that that challenge most of the places on the pitch, uh, and in most other scenarios other than the Premier League, at just on the edge of the penalty area. And I don't even think you get a free kick, or if you do, that's all you get. I think it looks like a pretty good tackle to me. I'd, I'd If I put that tackle in on a football pitch on a Saturday morning, I'd be kicking off at the referee. And the second one, yes, he's slipped. And whether he's intentionally stopped the player from running away or not by raising his leg after he's gone to ground and realised the ball's gone, uh, or whether he's it's just kind of his legs are flying all over the place because he's falling, you, you never really know. But it's, it's difficult to look at those two and... and Put those together and say that yes, that is a red card. But the the reality is, it uh, is as you said, Pete, that I think Leicester did really well to to recover from that. They all sat in, they all did their jobs, they nullified as much of Wolves' threat as they could, and when they got in and around the penalty area, it was bodies on the line, and it was it was great to see. But yeah, going into a game against a team like Manchester City, who can pick you apart at will, 
to be missing a, a really key element of our defensive stability uh, and our defensive solidity in in Wilfred and Didi is is I, w- I wouldn't say worrying, but far from ideal. It is far from ideal, and we'll discuss how Leicester might approach the the game against Manchester City later on, and whether it is a light for light swap or. Should we change the formation, etc.? What do you think? What do I think? And what do people think who have mentioned questions on Twitter and on Facebook, which we, we asked in the week? But um, overall, again, a very good point. Disappointing in terms of going forward. What, Vardy three touches in the first half an hour. No real clear-cut chances. There was a chance that Pereira created himself, but blazed over from an acute angle when going for power. But it was... It wasn't a game really that we created an awful lot, and a few people mentioned in Eniacho why wasn't he on earlier? Why didn't he um, start maybe instead of Vardy, who's obviously not quite as sharp as he was earlier on in the season? But sometimes you just have to a take your hat off to the opposition, who I thought were ultimately very solid, and they always have been since they've been promoted. Wolves, they have been a side who has gone and scored four or five goals and conceded plenty against teams. They have been very solid at the back, and then they can go forward. And and, and sometimes, and I think it was kind of proven in this game, that they can be quite blunt up top, which ultimately it was in this case. Thanks, no uh, part in doubt, for the fact that Leicester were exceptional at the back. But um, I think sometimes you do have to kind of move on and... and we mentioned earlier the, the 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 change in the season, the fact that the blip didn't turn into a real kind of downturn in form for Leicester, uh, and it didn't with the good points against Chelsea at home, which could have been an awful lot more. And again, this point away at Wolves, a very good point on paper, and something where you look back at the end of the season and hopefully go, and that almost was a vital point because. I don't know about you, Rob, but for me, the game against Man City, it's still a complete free kick, really, because. The way that they took us apart on the 21st of December at the Etihad, they, who won 3-1 Man City, but it ultimately could have been 5 or 6, really, probably should have been. I know we took the lead earlier, but I still think that game, as much as we've had success at home, especially against Man City in the league for the last four or five years, say, it's still... That game in December would, for me, leaves its mark. And obviously with the injury to Ndidi it's going to make it incredibly difficult. And hopefully we look back at the end of the season, as I was saying, and you look back at the game against Chelsea and go, good point, great point against Wolves, because even though maybe what happens against Man City, you then look at the next few games, Norwich away, Birmingham at home in the Cup, Villa at home in the league, uh, Watford away in the league, Brighton at home in the league. We're starting to have a really nice run of games on paper. So I don't think people should maybe get quite as hung up as... Is, is they're entitled to possibly because it's a reaction after the game. If a player plays poorly in a certain game, you that's something to talk about and you, it needs to be discussed. And you know, do they need replacing or is it just that one game you can let them off? But for me, I don't know about you, Rob, but I would just kind of hold fire and go. The point is the main thing. Yeah, of course it is. We we are. I wouldn't say eternally optimistic on this podcast, but we are we are realistic. We don't tend to jump to knee-jerk reactions as uh, as to one result or one particular individual. Uh, and I think um, it is just very important to... Well, you always say, if you, if you can win your home games and pick up a point on the road, you, you're, on, you're on a good sort of 
run of, um, of 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 a points haul by the end of the season, and that's really exactly what you did. Especially teams who are in the top half, like Wolves, teams like Wolves who give absolutely everybody in the league a real run for the money every single time they play. Um, it is, and 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 to to be still. I don't know how really to describe it. Would you call them off colour, or would you would you say just a little bit, just not not everybody clicking together in the same sort of sort of rhythm, or or what, however you want to look at it. Um, all, all things considered, you absolutely come away and say thank you very much for the point, uh, and look forward to trying to um, trying to make sure that we are the team that are on top or the team that are dictating some kind of a, of the patterns of play when Manchester City visit at the weekend. Because if we are walked all over as we were in the last game against them, as we were in the game against Liverpool in that same time period, then it's not going to be a very easy watch, let's be honest. It isn't, and I mentioned those games that we've got coming up against Norwich, Birmingham, Villa, etc. Just to put everything into context, we're currently third in the league. We're 10 points clear of Spurs, who are in fifth, which at the moment is the last possible Champions League position, etc. We'll we'll discuss that in, in the next few minutes about what's happened in the last week with Manchester City. But at the moment, we're 10 points inside the qualification area at the moment for for the Champions League. So in a really good position, and Spurs, to be fair to them, have picked up the one at Villa with a last-minute goal, but then they've now lost Son for nearly the end of the season, along with Harry Kane, so you'd imagine they might go backwards somewhat. They, they, they've kind of been grabbing results in a, in a Mourinho fashion where they've not really been playing very well. I don't think they played very well when they beat Manchester City uh, in the league. But anyway... Man City, our opponent, second, one point ahead of Leicester. They play West Ham, and at the time of recording, that's tonight on the Wednesday night. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'd imagine Man City will completely dominate and win quite easily. Um, but also, you have to bear in mind, they do have Champions League next week. So as much as they are in a very handy position in the league for terms of qualification, I think even they admit Liverpool have been and gone. But in terms of these games, I'd imagine, in terms of resting players, it would probably be against Leicester because they'll have a full week of preparation ahead of the game in the Champions League. So they could play their first team against, say, West Ham tonight. They could then rest some players, maybe like the likes of Aguero, etc., uh, against Leicester. And then they will play on the Wednesday. That's how I roughly see what could happen they have such a strong squad where the interchange of certain players silver for silver etc it, it doesn't really matter in some parts because they're so strong but um it could be the point where Leicester play their first team with one or two changes depending on formation and replacing Chowdhury but it could be that Man City actually make more changes because of what they have at, in a few days time after Leicester and with what happened this week with their two-year ban from European competition, that game on the Wednesday against uh, whoever it is in the Champions League, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, I'll find it out in a sec, um, is is now absolutely 100% vital and has to have all their attention. All or nothing for Man City, I think, in terms of the Champions League this season, isn't it? It's, it's always been a bit of a, um, a sort of hoodoo, really, for Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. The fact that they've not really 
sort of created the waves in Europe that they're... Oh, Rob, just Rob, just to let you know, uh, it's Real Madrid away. <laughs> oh, a nice easy one. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, when I say all or nothing for the Champions League, then, you know, Champions League knockout ties don't come much tougher than that, do they? But it's, it's something that has bothered Manchester City for quite a while in terms of their... their relative dominance of the English leagues over uh, since particularly since they came into money or particularly since you know they they became the powerhouse that they are that the the European success hasn't always mirrored their domestic success uh, and so that's even more sort of heightened now really with the fact that it's very unlikely that they'll be playing Champions League football for the next few seasons the Premier League title's gone you know um what Liverpool are 12 games uh, it's 12 games. When Man City have played tonight, it's 12 games till the end of the season. Uh, and the gap will be, uh, as a minimum, 23 points, 22 points, 22 points. So that is, it, it's unachievable. And with European football pretty much being snatched away from them for the next couple of seasons, they have to put absolutely everything into it. They're coming in to this West Ham game after a, a longer winter break than any other team, other than West Ham, obviously, because of the... Um, the postponed fixture because of the storm. So I think you're quite right. They'll put um, a full-strength team out, cruise past West Ham. But I think, similar to you, I think that there's a every chance that a few of their top, top players will not be playing against us. Now, you know, the likes of Manchester City, they've got one of the biggest, strongest squads in, in the world. So it doesn't make a huge difference. And they have rotated a lot more this season than I think they have in previous seasons, which are a, a few... Uh, Man City fans are grumbling about and possibly the reason why the gap between them and Liverpool is so wide but ultimately it will probably be a slightly changed team now obviously we have got quite a large gaping hole looking in front of our defence sort of protecting our midfield at the moment but on, on balance you'd think that you'd be able to pick a few more holes in a Man City side where there are a few players coming in that don't perhaps play so regularly but it's it's still not going to be by any stretch um an easy or an easier game than it would have been but it adds an a, an interesting element to it because they have to be looking at Real Madrid next week and and regardless of Man City finishing second or third is neither here nor there to them really this season and I still think even if we beat them at the weekend they will still finish second I I, I think that the top three is pretty much sorted now in order as the table sits right now so it is all eggs in the Champions League basket because you know league position doesn't really matter to them now no not at all and if we talk then about Leicester and how they will approach this game now I've written down on a bit of paper my team uh, it actually echoes a, a question uh, that was sent through uh, regarding if Wilt's not fit do we change the formation put Pratt in a holding position or do we go three at the back uh, with wing-backs. In fact, David Lusby says, I think we'll go three at the back. Now, I've written down straight away three at the back, okay, because it gives you that solidity with possibly Chilwell and Ricardo either side to make a flat five when defending. Uh, and then the midfield, you would have Pratt with Tillemans, Madison, uh, and then two up top, which would be more than likely, say, Barnes and then Vardy. Um that, for me, seems probably the most sensible way because of the way that we were picked apart by Man City on the 21st. 
And also, because of the lack of that defensive midfielder, it, it gives you the, the, the solidity that someone can come out of defence with the ball and not act as a playmaker, but we still play in that way where a few people mention the Puel word against Wolves, saying it was more like a Puel style because we didn't have any luck going forward and, and we did play it around the back. But in a back three, it gives you the the ability for one of those players then to step forward, knowing that there is still cover behind if the wing-backs are slightly further back and the fact that there's two centre-halves probably one either side who are behind you, then if it all goes wrong, it's not ultimately a one-on-one situation. But there are issues with that. We've discussed many times, and especially uh, myself, I have huge reservations about, and and it seems weird because a lot of people think that Chilwell uh, would be great in a, in a wing-back formation, but I've I've said many a time, and I think you've agreed as well, that Chilwell, I don't like him in a, a wing-back. I prefer him as a, as a left-back who is best going forward when he runs from deep, when he's got a head of pace and he can beat players just through one movement or maybe a lack of thinking just in a direct run, that's when he's he's best on an overlap. But in a wing-back situation, he could more than likely be higher up the field when receiving the ball, which then has led to a number of the problems that he had in games where he completely lost his confidence and almost lost the ability to, to play in a weird way. But... Uh, Ricardo, not so much. It, it suits his game, not a problem. But uh, it would suit the midfield. For me, you have, have your, your Tillemans probably sitting slightly deeper along with Pratt, who will be here, there and everywhere. And then your Madison with Barnes and Vardy up top, rotating, playing in certain ways, whichever way it suits. Probably Barnes slightly over to the left. It, but again, that could always work out. Madison maybe could drift to the right, but still be in midfield. That's the way I've thought about it um before i ask you rob what you would do an interesting line on that defense would be soyuncu evans but then the other player who would it be would it be morgan would it be bennett an interesting scenario because bennett would for me be best in a back three but then again i think wes morgan would be again very good in a back three especially with someone like if he was going to play on the right which I think if they did play in a back three, I suspect he will. He would play on the right side purely because of the fact that Ricardo would be there as a help at all times. And I think if Morgan did play, um, Ricardo would be... Look, a little word in his ear from uh, from Brendan Rodgers. Look, not being funny, but when Wes gets the ball, make sure you're available. Give him an option. Make it an easy pass for him. You know, don't We don't want him going long balls or, or being caught out. Um, but then Bennett could easily come in. It's an interesting uh, uh, conundrum if he does go three at the back. But how would you go against Man City? I think if we do go three at the back, and and I'm kind of 50-50, I'm kind of torn between the two really. If we did go three at the back or five at the back, we'd have to really make sure that the midfield shape was was right for the fixture. Because I think the the thing that really bothered me against Manchester City and against Liverpool was the fact that uh, was how exposed we were in wide areas. And in particular, Riyad Mahrez had far too much space because he just stayed on the touchline. And then De Bruyne, who was playing in... Well, Manchester City, really, you look at it as, as probably a 4-3-3, but it's so fluid that you, you, you don't really want to put a label on it as such. But De Bruyne was playing as the wider of the three midfielders and he was drifting inside so much and causing problems that it was kind of causing Chilwell to tuck in to make sure almost to double up 
But then Riyad Mahrez was just waiting on the touchline and Manchester City couldn't switch the ball so quickly that he was found more often than not. And we have witnessed for many years Riyad Mahrez's magical ability to beat a man one-on-one. And regardless of whether whether or not Chilwell is an England defender, one-on-one, you'd back Riyad Mahrez to beat most defenders in the world. That's why he's one of the most expensive players in the world and that's why he plays for one of the biggest and best teams in the world. So if we did play three at the back, you would have to make sure that, arguably, you would have to make sure that it was in defence a 5-4-1 because you would need an extra body out wide. I don't think there's any question whatsoever. You can stifle the middle all you want, but Manchester City can move that ball so quickly that to shuffle across would be difficult. So you'd either have to play the five and then if you wanted more central options, play a, a, a diamond four in the middle really with somebody like Barnes at the point of it and then Tielemans and Madison in front of um, Dennis Pratt as a diamond formation where Madison and Tielemans were responsible for when we're not in possession, getting across and making sure that they're doubling up out wide. Or you'd have to play it as a as a flat five four one and have maybe Madison on the left and Barnes on the right with Tielemans and Pratt in the middle, and and just say, look, we when we get that ball forward, we've got to get through the phases a bit quicker, which isn't really a, a favoured tactic of Brendan Rodgers, but that's the only way that that kind of formation would work. So that, that I can see, I can see as using three at the back, but I would be very wary if we did play 5-3-2 that we'd look horribly exposed out wide again. The other option is to stick to how it already is and have Dennis Pratt in that in that holding role uh, and just continue as, as before and just play Tielemans and Madison in front of him, four at the back, uh, you know, Perez and Barnes as the wide men or whoever you want to pick and, and Vardy up front. It's, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be interesting because, you know, we didn't expect Ndidi to come back so quickly from the from the sort of recovery from the surgery. He did. He's had a bit of soreness since. He's missed a couple of games. It's still not been 100% confirmed whether he will be fit or not for the weekend, as far as I'm aware, unless I've missed something today. So, you know, he, he, he could still play in that formation and maybe they'll just train with two different options, him in that formation, Pratt in that formation, you know, three at the back. In terms of who'd play in the back three, I I think it would be Wes Morgan. I think Morgan would have to play in the centre of a three. I think that's the only way that he could fit into a three, really. Um, Because there's one thing, having your club club captain on the bench and not being one of the first two-choice centre-backs, but to then bring in somebody on loan as cover to allow you to send a younger player out and to then pick them over your club captain as well. I, I think I think Brendan Rodgers would know that Morgan will be well protected enough in a back three to, to not be exposed for, for the couple of bits that his age might expose him for. Uh, and I think he will probably relish having someone like Wes Morgan's leadership on the pitch as well in what's going to be a, a very tough game and a bit of a backs-to-the-wall job at times. I think it will be it will be interesting when the team news arrives if they do go for a back three as you mentioned the fact that Chilwell and Ricardo will have to hang back and it would be for me down to Dennis Pratt he would be the person who would be operating as that kind of sweeper cover to go over 
and join Chilwell if they attack down the right and then over up to protect Ricardo if they attack down the left and it will be the job of and then Tillemans or Madison either side to then fill in once that once Dennis Pratt's gone over to double up on that side and the the best thing about a back three is if you employ that formation that, that when obviously on occasion a winger will then beat said Dennis Pratt or the, the, the fullback then there will be instantly a centre half there in a nearer position than there would be if there was a back two. And the only problem with that, obviously, then is then when you go forward, it, it leaves you quite exposed up top with Barnes and Vardy, not an awful lot of help with them. But you play Man City, what are you going to do? And it gives you the opportunity to chop and change things around as well. If maybe you've grown into the game and Man City have taken a step off or maybe even replaced a few players because of the Champions League game. And then you decide to go for the game, go for the win. Of course, you can always then change things as, as you go ahead. But I'll be quite surprised if they don't actually go with that back three. But uh, again, we'll see what an hour from kickoff, 5.30 kickoff at, at the KP live on Sky. And uh, and hopefully, are you there, Rob, this uh, this Saturday? I'm not. I'm on a stag do this weekend, actually. I'm uh, currently on half term and then I'm ending half term with a stag do. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place at the minute. It's a good reason to miss a Leicester game, surely. Yeah, I'll let you off there. I'll be at the King Power. Looking forward to it. Should be a really good game. And uh, fingers crossed, a positive result. Take a point now, but uh, we'll wait and see what happens. Now, discussing Man City, they've been banned for two years from European competition. An amazing result, really, for other clubs in the Premier League, especially Leicester. It's such a a story that affects a club like, say, Leicester. You're looking at these Tottenham's and Chelsea's, etc. Those clubs who are behind Liverpool and Man City in the league, it really it, it really does affect us. It, it's it's such a, a bonus, really. Now, whether this two-year ban will stand up, I have my doubts massively whether it will. I can see it being a year. I can see it being next season. Um, I think Man City will probably get something from the courts, but I can see it being, look, next season you're out, even if you're the winners of it this year. And what that will do then to the squad and Guardiola will have to wait and see. But uh, I, I just wrote a couple of players down because obviously some players are playing at Man City who have won Premier Leagues, who have done everything in England. They've won the League Cup pretty much every year and they probably will do this year. They've won the FA Cup and the title. And it's the Champions League really that they want. Now, if they've got a two-year ban... A lot of players who have been at Man City for all that time are very doubtful going to leave to another Premier League side. Aguero's not going to jump ship and play for Liverpool, is he? It's just not going to happen, OK? And and, and David Silva, etc. You just can't see that happening. Uh, but there's, there's two players I wrote down in terms of possible Leicester interest, who I would say, A, is a sort of player that we want, B, is a sort of player who we could actually get because you're not going to turn around and say, right, Aguero can come to Leicester. It's just not going to happen. And the two players are, first of all, a Riyad Mahrez. Who knows? Okay. Especially if they win the Champions League this year. Okay. Let's just say whether Man City win the Champions League. Someone like Mahrez not going to play for two years. And you've got to say two years because that's the uh, that's the ban at the moment. So we're going on that likelihood. He's 28 years old now, Riyad. Let's just say there's an easy way back at Leicester. There's a place in the team for him. You'd imagine in those three players behind Vardy. It's kind of tailor-made, as we know, for Mahrez. Possible. Okay, probably an outside bet, but I don't know. I, I, I can I can see certainly Brendan being interested because 
Remember, Brendan wasn't here at all when Mares left, so it's got nothing to do with him, and he just might really fancy it. And 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 there we go. And the other player is John Stones. Okay, we're after a centre half. He's twenty five. He moved for big money to Manchester City. Has had a number of mistakes in him and has slipped down the pecking order considerably now at, at City. And but I mentioned his age. He's twenty five. There's still an awful lot of development in that player. And if you're looking for a player to come in and join Evans and Soyuncu, who better than him in a, at a Premier League level? I think he would be an exceptional signing. And also, the fact that, A, we're a, cha- we're a Champions League club, B, you're playing with Brendan, etc. in a settled environment with players that he would know already. But also, there's a good likelihood that he could be either in the back three, but right involved with the first team straight away and that's something that's not happened at Man City and that's my angle with John Stones I think a lot of other clubs will be looking at him but uh, what what do you reckon Rob not only about those two possible signings or anyone else involved at City and again this is just yeah picking names and just seeing what's what a little bit of fun, uh, fun almost really regarding a look forward to the summer but but also your your thoughts on the two-year ban it's big news isn't it it was it kind of not necessarily came out of the blue because if you if you keep your ear to the ground with football news, you know it was it was always sort of being talked about. But for it to actually happen, and for it to actually right now be you are banned from European football for two years is 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 quite significant, really, and it, it's a big statement kind of against the the uh, cliche really of buying success, isn't it? Um, now, whether it will be upheld as two years, it's probably unlikely because, you know, you look at somebody like Chelsea's transfer ban was, was massive news when that happened. Has that lasted as long as they said it was? It, as long as they said it would? No. Um, subject to several appeals and, and whatnot. But, and that might be the case again with Manchester City. But it'll be interesting because Guardiola at the moment is making all the right noises about saying, oh, it's not going to affect the job that I'm doing here. I'm going to stick around, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think you're right for most of the players, if they did feel, especially somebody like Sergio Aguero, who's not necessarily got a huge amount of um, time left in his legs, really. He's in his early 30s now. Would he want to sit for potentially two years outside of the Champions League at his age, uh, you know, asking questions as to whether he'd ever play Champions League football again, or especially if they didn't win it this season, would... He goes somewhere else in search of that kind of glory. I absolutely think he would. And and he wouldn't stay in England to do that. No chance. He's, I think he's been at Manchester City too long. I think the club means too much to him for that. But it would be interesting to see, interesting to see whether, you know, some the players kind of... And the manager said, well, we'll focus solely on domestic success. You know, try and get a double or a treble. Uh, and be in as the best position possible for if and when the ban is overturned or shortened to get straight back in and, and challenge with Europe. And you could almost argue that without the distractions of the Champions League, it's at least a, a, a very minimum six fewer games, isn't it, in terms of the group stage matches. Um, whether that might give them a slight edge in terms of the Premier League title race. Riyad Mahrez is an interesting one because he, as we all know, didn't necessarily leave in the best of circumstances and has subsequently had a few interviews 
whether you take them at face value or, or whether they, you know they've been sort of selectively quoted here and there, whichever way you look at them, he's, he's not come across in the best kind of light um, from from our point of view with our blue royal blue Leicester blue tinted spectacles on. Um, would he come back? I don't know. Uh, would the fans be wholly accepting of him coming back? I don't know. Uh, he's more he's more likely than a lot of the Manchester City players to come to Leicester, so I, I take your point on that. But I think John Stones is a, is, a, is a good talking point because when we talk about potential transfers on this podcast, and we don't really spend an awful lot of time gossiping or or trying to deal with rumours or whatever, like you say, this is just sort of plucking some names from a scenario and and having a bit of a uh, a bit of fun with it, really. But John Stones is the kind of player that that you'd be looking for Leicester City to sign because. I, I maintain absolutely that most transfer dealings that we do in the next year, 18 months, maybe even two years, have to be players of a very, very good pedigree to better or push the players that are in the team right now, in the first 11 right now. Not just the let's sign this 19-year-old championship striker because he looks like he could get good in the next few years. I think this what this squad now, now we have the nucleus of very young, talented players, this squad needs some higher-level experience. And, and whatever you think about John Stones, I think, I think he, he's a kind of player that benefits from somebody putting some trust in him and somebody giving him a run of games, which, you know, Manchester City tinker so much that their centre-back pairing is never the same, let alone anywhere else on the pitch. And, you know, your centre-backs really are rely on having a good relationship. You look at how good Evans and Soyuncu have been this season. They've been immovable, really, as a pair. So, John Stones to come in and to add real competition for places, huge amount of uh, international experience, still got a lot of development in him, like you say, and I think that's a, a real, real positive. Uh, and I I think he'd be a really, really good fit for what we're trying to achieve at Leicester. And, you know, Brendan Rodgers is excellent at putting his arm around players, making them feel wanted, giving them responsibility and trust in their roles within the squad. And... I think John Stones would really benefit from that, and I, th- and I think he's a he's a very good shout. Should there be some kind of exodus at Manchester City, or you know, Manchester City fans, some of them are, are wanting Stones out anyway. So, you know, if he's if he's unwanted at Manchester City, it could reduce his price as well. Yeah, one player who wouldn't command a transfer fee, where it was mentioned a few weeks ago regarding uh, Adam Lallana at Liverpool, and uh, only today kind of almost confirmation. I don't think there's any any secret and I don't think there's there's really any need for it to be any secret that's uh, that Leicester are interested in Alana, along with a number of other clubs who will be interested in the who will be say thirty two at the beginning of the next season, he'll be on a free after uh, more than likely leaving Liverpool. And this is a player who Brendan signed whilst at Liverpool from Southampton. He's had uh, a number of injuries, doesn't play an awful lot for Liverpool, although actually he's played a, f- a few more games than I actually thought this season. Could play anywhere behind, say, a, a striker in a, an attacking midfielder position, but also brings an incredible amount of experience. Someone who's won the Champions League, someone who you can see fitting very well in at Leicester, maybe not as a first-team player, but again, it depends on what happens. But But certainly... If you were to try and bulk up the squad with talent and a little bit of experience ready for a Champions League campaign, I think Adam Lallana, if fit, 
ticks absolutely every single box. Now, obviously, they're not going to sell. They're not going to buy a player who's um, who's injured, and they're not going to buy a player who's got an awful lot of issues in that area. And that's a that's a strange thing to say. It's an easy thing to say, but it's a strange thing to say about a player who has had a lot of injuries. But these sort of deals. You'd imagine anyone buying Lalana, he's going to be on a decent amount of money, and they're not going to buy someone who fails a medical just because he's on a free. There's going to be a lot of detail going into this, and who knows what could happen once he's playing. And uh, and fingers crossed, if he does sign, then obviously nothing goes wrong. But um, it, it, for me, Rob, I mentioned earlier, he just ticks every box in what we would need for next season. Absolutely, yeah, and and it follows on from my, my point about what our our transfer intentions should be when we were just talking about John Stones a moment ago. It's it is a a signing of a player who has played multiple times for England, who's played at the at the highest level, as you say. He's 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 won uh, he's won plenty. He is technically very able and he's very very experienced. You know he he's doing a job at Liverpool that has required him to maintain his professionalism, particularly as the fact that he has had suffered with injuries during his time there. And um, I, I watched uh, when Liverpool were playing... Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. You know what I'm like? I'm absolutely useless at remembering individual games. But he was the captain of a very young Liverpool squad. It was probably the FA, one of the FA Cup rounds. Um, and that is exactly the kind of job that you can imagine him doing day-to-day on the training ground as well. He... He knows what it's like to sort of work your way up to a, to an extent. You know, he was he was one of um, a few players that that came through uh, and really came to prominence at Southampton. So it's not like he's been a, a top four club in their academy. You know, he's 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 had to work hard for what he's for what he's got, uh, and I think he's still got an awful lot to offer. And I think. He can play, as you say, in any of those positions behind the striker. But I also think if you've got the right kind of partner for him in the in the central midfield, or if you play in a central midfield three, he can absolutely fit in there as well. And and he would be a real asset to this squad. And you kind of have to offset the fact that you get a, qual- a player of that quality in on a free transfer. You're almost looking at the slightly more medium term vision. You don't mind spending a bit more on his wages because. You don't, you've not had to fork out anything to bring him to the club in the first place. Obviously, there'll be the odd signing bonus and agent fee and, and all sorts like that. But in terms of cold, hard transfer fee, there won't be anything. So you've got to imagine at Liverpool, he's on best part of 120, 130 grand a week, probably, ballpark. And there are some players at Leicester City who are on a similar sort of wage. Now, you know, this is the reality of where Leicester City is as a football club and as a financial powerhouse in the Premier League. We we can afford to sign a player on that kind of wage. And maybe you sign him, you sign him on for a year with the option of an extra year subject to X amount of appearances, you know, to save it being a real financial gamble and saying, yes, here's, two, here's a two-year deal unquestioned. But I think he'd be an excellent signing for us. You, you, you keep him fit. He's not going to play every game, so he's not going to sort of. You're not going to wear him out if you like. And you need to keep the ball for the last 15 minutes of a game that you you win in one nil. You bring Lalana on. You need somebody to create something in the final third because you're a goal behind. Last 15, 20 minutes, you bring Lalana on. You have a a player who's slightly out of form or maybe a bit injured or 
or suspended, for example, and you need someone to slot straight in to the first eleven and be Premier League ready, you start Lalana. And you know, and and if he plays himself into a into a position where the team can't function without him, then great. You know, he's co- he's costing plenty of money on the wages. He can start games and and take the, be one of the first names on the team sheet. That'd be even better. But I can't see any reason not to sign him, provided, as you said, the medical is done thoroughly and we'll get the best out of him. One player we didn't sign is, uh, is Sam McCallum, who plays for uh, plays for Coventry. He went to Norwich. He's a defender, signed for three and a half million, back on loan to Coventry for the rest of the season. Uh, he, he went through the V9 Academy, the Jamie Vardy Academy, and as we're speaking, there's a, a really good piece on Sky Sports News. So if you get the chance when you listen to the podcast to, to try and find the information regarding this and, and the story that's well covered, Vardy, uh, FaceTime in the family, this, that and the other, and it's the first player, I think, that's been signed by a Premier League side from Jamie Vardy's V9 Academy, giving players... Um, last kind of chances in football, that sort of thing. Well, not the last chance, but another chance maybe that if after they leave, say, big clubs or, or further down or maybe get into a bit of bother off the field. So that's well worth a look as well, the Sam McCallum story. But uh, we've asked for some questions, Rob, on um, on Twitter and Facebook, and, and, and a lot of them, actually, I think we've covered them all, really. Uh, there was only one or two. Um, one regarding Vardy and uh, mentioned his form... Um, how close do you think, Dave mentioned, uh, Iniacho actually pushing Vardy for a first-team place? Because he has made such a an impact off the bench and looked very calm and at home and, and, and has scored a number of goals, as we know, Iniacho. But the longer that Vardy's drought goes on, surely it will come to a certain point where having Iniacho in the starting lineup is is kind of a, a deserved thing, a, a, a form pick, or is Vardy untouchable? That's the problem, isn't it? And it's it's quite rare that we talk about having Jamie Vardy at Leicester City as a problem, from our point of view anyway, it's a problem for most other defences. But the problem, the problem is his profile. The problem is his record overall. You know, he's still the top scorer in the Premier League this season. Um, but you do have to look at the, the short term at the moment. And he is on what you would call a goal drought. But I think that question right now immediately has been answered by Brendan Rodgers' comments this week, saying that it's the team's responsibility to to score goals. And ultimately, although he didn't quite phrase it this way, he was essentially alluding to the fact that it's the entire team's responsibility to get Jamie Vardy back on the score sheet. And I think the reason that Vardy still starts over Ian Acho from Roger's point of view, and probably from my point of view as well, is that Vardy is a lot more aware of everything else that's going on on the pitch. He knows exactly what his role is out of possession. And regardless of whether he's scoring or not, if I'm a centre-back and I'm in possession and I know Jamie Vardy's playing up front for the opposition, every single time I get the ball, I am constantly, you know, my my senses are heightened and and I'm probably trying to think or act a little bit too quickly or more quickly than than I would normally against most of the strikers. So he still does have that element to him, even though he's not scoring goals as much. 
And I think you've got to look at the statistics. His, his, the, the percentage of chances or percentage of shots that he's had in comparison to the rest of the team, uh, in comparison to the team overall per game, has gone down. And Leicester's number of shots per game has decreased recently. So if Leicester are taking fewer shots and Jamie Vardy's taking an even fewer percentage of those, he's basically not getting a shot at goal. So I, I take Brendan Rodgers' point completely that it is the whole team's job to find opportunities to get Vardy a shot at goal because we've seen it so many times before. He's had one chance, one goal, and that's all he needs. And you take him out of the team, if you put Iheanacho in the team and you think, right, he's only going to get one chance this game, is he going to score it? I would still back Jamie Vardy, regardless of what form Iheanacho's in. If if it works out that the best way to get Vardy back on the score sheet or get the team scoring freely again is by playing Iheanacho as well and you can fit a two-man strike force into the formation, then great. But at this moment in time, do I think that Vardy will be dropped for Iheanacho? No. No, I I agree. I I agree as well that Vardy is he's not untouchable, but uh, in, in this Leicester side, apart from... The obvious picks, which would be the defence, say, so in Chu and, and Evans, and indeed he won't fit. Um, he is still because he's um, he's the talisman. He's Mr. Leicester City. He's the top scorer in the Premier League, as you mentioned. Uh, but also, is this run of fixtures as well? As much as he didn't score, but had a very good chance against Chelsea, he he still run the channels well. He still um, held the ball up on occasion and, and wasn't really given as many chances as as he's had previously that one chance where it was saved by Caballero in goal but it's still Jamie Vardy is number nine and the last point that you mentioned there which I brought up last week about having Iniesta in the side alongside Vardy if you play in a 3-5-2 for example this week um, Barnes would more than likely be that player and I'm not saying drop Barnes because of his performances because Barnes has been very good but Someone like Iniacho, maybe later on alongside Vardy, if we're chasing the game, push one of the midfielders up to play further forward as like a 10 behind the two. If you're trying to chase the game, that could easily be an option. Uh, I, I wouldn't rule out that in the slightest, but uh, it's still Vardy for me. And we'll wait and see. If the next few games he still doesn't bag and, and looks off, off form, then then I would be all, all for Iniacho starting. I think the one thing with me is that I would like to see Iniacho maybe coming on slightly early. Now, if Vardy, if it hasn't worked for him after an hour, 60 minutes, 65 minutes, say, then maybe bring Iniacho on earlier. He came on, what, after about 80 minutes or so, I seem to remember, against Chelsea. And at the time, I was thinking with 20 minutes to go, now would be a great time for him. I think it was slightly later than 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 I actually wanted. But, uh, you know, what happens on the pitch most of the time when you're in the stand or watching on TV, you might not get a, a bigger picture regarding injuries or the way the manager would maybe change the formation, etc. So there's a, there's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes than just a simple swap. But I want maybe Anasha to come slightly early onto the field and Pratt, I'd imagine, will play because of the injury to Indeedy. It's interesting and, and possibly slightly... Worrying in a way that we've not actually heard an awful lot about Wilfred and Didi. At least I haven't. Maybe I've just completely missed everything that uh, has been released about him. But there's been no definite kind of word that he's going to be playing at the weekend. I, I can't see him being involved at all. Or if he is, it will be on the bench. But um, it, the, the longer that goes on and, and silence, I don't like silence from a football club regarding a player's injury. I prefer them to be quite up front and say, look, this is a situation... 
X, Y, Z, not we'll just wait and see because that for me there's there's no there's no use hiding the player. We're we're not hiding him away from an opposition in a in a, in a way that some clubs might do in a head to head battle for a certain place or, or or whatever. I don't think that's the case with someone like Ndidi. So the longer that goes on and the longer that there is a what I've seen as silence so far, that's that's slightly worrying because maybe they're not entirely sure what's going on with the uh, with the knee. But one thing that we do know is that the fancy football, which we won't do the rundown, so there's going to be no music, Rob. So stand by or stand down regarding the button with the uh, the music because this game week has gone on for so long because of games being cancelled and then being replayed in the sense of Man City West Ham today, but also the the double weekend for one game week it means that we're actually on the same game week so I'm looking down the list here I'm I'm 21st I've not really moved because I've still got a player to play in Mares tonight and, and Rob you're uh, only a few places down your captain actually is De Bruyne who plays tonight you'd imagine so um so yeah we won't do the fancy football this week because uh because there's no points we'll do that next week hopefully after plenty of points for Mares tonight and not at the weekend because Leicester thrash Man City so Rob um, finally, any other business? I can't think of anything. I think we've gone through everything on my perceived list of bits and bobs to answer. Um, really, it's a, a prediction for the game. Now, last time, I can't remember what we predicted for the Wolves game. I, I'd definitely say that we, we said, look, a draw would be really ideal and would be a, a point and just escape and it doesn't matter really about the result, about the um, performance, which kind of actually happened as well. I went on a few bits and bobs for Wolves fans, uh, a few of their podcasts and for their Evening Star, etc. And I said there's going to be plenty of goals as there always is at Molyneux. So completely ruined their uh, predictions and got that completely wrong. I think you can't really go far wrong in predicting goals with Leicester and Man City. I will reiterate what I said at the beginning. I think it's a, a, a free hit. If Leicester lose, then the worst that we could be is seven points off uh fifth place and that still would be an amazing place to be with fifth place possibly still being Champions League and also there's not that many games left in the league and we've got a a really nice run of fixtures in the league after this you have to go quite far through our fixture list to find a perceived top team I mean it's going to be difficult against the likes Villa obviously there's that hangover from the League Cup and then Watford away they're never going to be easy any game away from home in the Premier League, Nigel Pearson, etc. Brighton at home, Everton away, they're flying at the moment. And then you've got Palace at home, Arsenal away, Bournemouth away, Sheffield United at home, Tottenham away, Man United at home. It could be interesting, those last two games, that could really be the fight for. Hopefully uh, it doesn't have to come to that because we're well inside the top four. But uh, anyway, that's what's to come. I can see there being plenty of goals, a free hit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I can see Leicester scoring. That's my main thing. I can see Vardy scoring, breaking the droughts, and I can see it being maybe a draw, maybe two-two. Uh, I, I think it's just out of reach for Leicester with their recent run of performances. The way that they were flat in the first half against Chelsea, they played very well second half, but again the performance at, at, at Wolves quite flat in places. I can just see Leicester getting at Man City early and unfortunately I can see Man City scoring at least a couple maybe. So I'll I'll go for 2-2. I'll go for a Desmond. 
We're a realistic podcast usually, but you'll never ever hear me predict Leicester to lose. If I was a neutral, um, I would probably predict a Manchester City 2-1 win, but I'm not. I'm a Leicester fan, uh, so I'm going to go for, you know... 2-2 two, two, two was going to be my next was going to be my backup there so I'll go for my third choice I'll go for 1-1 one, one. I think I think we'll score or I'd like to think we'll score and and I think the main thing that I want to see from the game is us actually trying to stamp some authority on the game I thought we were far too nice to Manchester City and Liverpool last time around and we've got to take our position seriously as the third best team in the Premier League and say no look you come into our home this is how we play football. We're going to take the game to you. Rather than looking like we're a little bit scared of what they might bring to us, we need to make our statement and say, this is us. This is how we're going to play. And and if Leicester lose by playing their way and by playing well, I've got absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. There we go. So the game after Man City, I agree, uh, is Norwich away. That's on the Friday night again. Friday night football seems to be Leicester's uh, thing at the moment. Hopefully it can be another 9-0, but uh, I presume, Rob, that we'll gather for another for Fox sake before the Norwich game and go over what happened against Man City and then look forward to Norwich. Uh, it then will be Birmingham as well and then Villa at home, etc. So uh, we'll try and get that at the beginning of next week. If you want to get in contact with us, it's very simple. You can email us for Fox 8 podcast at gmail.com is the email. You can get in contact via Twitter. Just follow us at ffspod for Fox 8 Pod. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can see all of our tweets, links to the podcast, and also you can then reply. And it means that then we'll get whatever message that you reply uh, with. And that will come straight through to us. So I always think Twitter and email are the best too, especially Twitter. And if you're on Facebook, just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and it will come up with our Facebook site and make sure you click like on that. And it means that you'll get all the links and all the bits and bobs that we gather from however way, shape or form uh, to do with Leicester throughout the course of the week before we gather for another for fuck's sake. So fingers crossed, everything goes okay at the weekend. And uh, you never know. One thing that we didn't really mention was a win. And if we do win, then we could be sitting 13 points clear of fifth place. But again, we'll have to wait and see whether fifth actually becomes a Champions League place. That's it for the podcast. We'll be back next week. And as always, up the city.